Welcome to One Step Ahead. Technological innovation and the need to live more sustainably are profoundly reshaping how we travel, work and play. In this podcast, business leaders and industry disruptors break down how they're adapting to these trends, preparing for what's next and helping to build a brighter future for our planet. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Hello, I'm Libby Potter, and in this episode of One Step Ahead, we'll be exploring the topic of gender equality and its impact on corporate performance. Whilst the moral and ethical reasons for gender equality are widely accepted, there's growing evidence that a gender-diverse workforce has a positive impact on a business's bottom line, as we're about to find out. I'm joined by two guests who know a lot about this subject, Diana Van Mastek, CEO and co-founder at Equileap, which is an independent data provider and research organisation dedicated to gender equality, and Margaret Johnston Clark, Global Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Officer at L'Oreal, a recognised leader for gender equality. Hello and welcome to you both. So first of all, I want to take the temperature of this issue um, of gender equality in the corporate world. And I don't want to talk too much at this stage about it, but if you could just give me a brief outline, your headline thoughts on where we are. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me, Libby. Um, well, when I think of where we are today, I have to think about 30 years ago when I was in college and I was taking classes in gender studies. And at the time, we were also discussing issues like um, the gender pay gap, lack of paid parental leave for both men and women, sexual harassment, lack of women in leadership positions. And today, we continue to see these exact same problems. So I think it's safe to say that we have not been able to advance too much in the last decades. Um, But at the same time, we have to make a, a change because we know that gender equality is not only good for society, but it also has uh, positive financial repercussions. So I'm hoping that it's a problem that we can resolve within um, the next decade and that we don't have to wait another three. And we'll definitely pick up on a lot of those points um, shortly. But uh, Margaret, can you give your overview of where we are? Yes, hello. And thank you very much for uh, inviting me today. I think that uh, gender equality has definitely made progress in the last uh, few decades, I would say. Um, But I would agree with Diana, there's a lot still to be done. Uh, From a company's point of view, I think that this has become a real issue today, which wasn't necessarily the case a few decades ago. So I think that that's where we've made a tremendous advancement. Um, Diversity, equity, Inclusion are now present in most of the bigger businesses, I would say, but even smaller ones and medium-sized ones worldwide. There's been a huge wake-up call also in the last, I would say, 12 months on social injustice issues, but also on sexism with Me Too for the past, I should say, three years and not last year. So these are all issues that have stirred up conversations, discussions, but also policies uh, internally. So... I work at L'Oreal where we've done this for the past 20 years, so we didn't wait for Me Too to happen, but it's true that it definitely accelerated that discussion and enabled us to test a lot of different 
programs to fight sexism in the workplace, for instance, and to share best practices with other companies worldwide. So I would say it's on a positive note. There's lots to be done, but we've, we've moved forward in the last few years. Yeah, that's fantastic news, obviously, but there are caveats, clearly. So let's um, have a look at where you two personally fit into this discussion. Um, so I'll start with you, Diana. Why did you establish Equileap? Um, what does it do and what's its mission? Right. So in 2016, I thought I wanted to be part of the solution and wanted to do something to ensure that gender equality happened at a faster pace that we could take a leap towards equality and equity. And that's why Equileap. And we created Equileap with the idea that data is powerful and uh, so is the financial industry and sector too. So what Equileap does is we are a data provider for the financial services industry. We research around 4,000 of the largest public companies around the world to see how they are all doing on issues uh, of gender equality, including the percentage of women at all levels of a company, but also see, uh, are they trying to close their gender pay gap? Do they have flexible work arrangements? What kind of policies and practices do they have in place to address discrimination? And that data we make available to banks, pension funds, and other asset managers who then can build uh, investment products with a gender lens. And we feel that by putting this investor's power behind uh, gender equality, companies will start to change quicker. Fantastic. And Margaret, you're uh, the inclusion officer at L'Oreal, and you've had considerable success as far as I can tell. And we will talk about this in a sec. But can you tell me why you took up that role in the first place? What was it that led you to it? Actually, I started my career in diversity and inclusion uh, in the early 90s. And I worked for a nonprofit where um, I was fully dedicated to this matter here in France and working at a European level. And after six years, I decided to um, join L'Oreal. So I've been with the company for over 20 years, focusing mainly on how to to make that change. And it's been a wonderful experience because I've seen how companies like L'Oreal or LVMH, where I spent a few years in between, um, have really made that shift in the mindset and also our role as a company, moving from philanthropy to more engaged and real um, HR policies, but also uh, communications development in the sense of making sure we understand and we respect our consumers and create the right type of, um, not just the products, but mainly the way we, we speak with them and how we are really in tune with that. So I think that I've been doing this for for over 20, 25 years, almost almost 30. And I've been in this role at L'Oreal for the past four years. So um, it's really great to be able to work vis-a-vis our employees, but also our consumers and our suppliers. Great. And it's not just a, a sort of marketing stance, is it, for corporations? Can you talk, uh, Diana, about why gender equality matters not just from a societal but an economic perspective and and what evidence is there to support the idea that gender diverse companies perform better? Yeah, right. Um, Well, I think indeed it's become more and more well known that the societal benefits are there, that a world with equality and equal opportunities for everybody is a better world. 
But there's also a very strong business case, which is um, not yet fully recognized, uh, which is too bad because we're seeing more and more research that is pointing towards this direction. There are a number of research papers published by Harvard, MSCI, Credit Suisse, all kinds of uh, companies pointing out that when you have more gender diversity, you have higher financial performance. But I'll give you an example of one of the latest research, which was published in um, late 2020 by an asset management firm called Glenmead. They took the Russell 1000, which is the 1000 largest companies in the US, and they ranked these companies based on Equilibre's gender equality score. And then they looked at the financial performance of these companies from 2014 to 2020. And they found out that the top 20% of the companies, meaning the companies with the better financial, with the better gender equality score, outperformed the bottom 20% by almost 3%. So there was a higher financial return in those companies that were doing better on gender diversity. And this is one of many other research uh, papers, but we were happy to see that we, this way it was used in our data and that um, one more time we're seeing a correlation between higher financial returns and gender equality. Wow, that's pretty conclusive evidence, isn't it? Um, Margaret, what have you found in terms of economic performance sort of tallying with greater gender equality within a corporation? Well, I think that um, we obviously believe in a gender diverse company that, that, that performs better. So if I were to build on what Diana just shared, I think that in our case, we have two thirds of our workforce uh, who are made up of that's made up of women. While we do have consumers of all genders, women do represent the majority. Um, so we need to reflect our consumers and therefore to create the beauty products that answer all of their needs, their expectations um, around the world. So I think having gender equity in our leadership, in our decision making, not just among our beauty advisors or our teams, but really in the decision making is absolutely crucial. So and it benefits everyone actually in the company, men and people of all of all genders. So we found that in terms of performance, more than half of our brands today are, are, are managed by women from a, from a GM position. Uh, again, most of, almost half of our expatriates are women today, which wasn't the case a while ago. So to have that um, diversity at the top level and that equity is absolutely fundamental from a performance standpoint. So it seems obvious, obviously, to us because we're female, but it, it seems obvious generally that uh, a more diverse company would perform better. However, Diana, your um, gender equality report that you've mentioned already, which ranks these top performing companies, makes this indisputable, right? Can you talk any more about the findings of your latest report, the 2021 report? Sure. Every year we publish uh, a report on how these companies are doing at the uh, gender equality level. Um, and the last one in 2021, we, I have three main findings that I can share with you. Uh, first of all, we are far from achieving gender balance in the workplace, unfortunately. Although things have improved, uh, we see that women hold 25% of the board positions and only 17% of executive positions globally. For many years, we've been trying to target 30%, um, and at the global level, we're still not there. So that still needs to improve. Second, despite the Me Too movement, which has been going on for three years already, we see that more than 50% of the companies, so 51% to be exact, 
do not have an anti-sexual harassment policy. And um, we know that this is a problem on the in the workplace and that companies need to start doing something about that. So we hope to see an improvement. And finally, the majority of the companies, 85%, still do not publish their gender pay gap. In fact, of all the 4,000 that we researched, only 15 companies have actually said, we have closed the gender pay gap in our company. And so here's another area where we hope to see improvement in the years to come. Wow, that actually surprises me, shocks me. Um, so, Margaret, let's turn to one of the best performing companies that, that Equileap has studied, uh, and that's L'Oreal, so it's your company. Uh, it's actually the top performing French company for gender equality, according to the Equileap's rankings, the latest rankings, and fourth globally. Um, what has L'Oreal done and what have you done to achieve this score? And is it just about female representation at an executive level or does it go beyond that? Well, it's been a long-term commitment. So um, this is something that we started as a company wanting to change those numbers, as I said, 20 years ago. L'Oreal's executive leadership was really mainly made up of men. Uh, so just to, 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 to break some sort of stereotype, it's not because we're in the beauty industry that we've always had women in leadership positions. So there was a very committed and engaged uh, approach from the top level, actually from our CEO and from our executive committee, to really change those numbers. So it started off by making sure that gender equity was going to be in our leadership. So it, it's taken time, but today, among our strategic positions across all functions and across the world, we have over 50% of women in those positions, holding those positions. Same with our board of directors. Um, but, you know, in our XCOM, we only have a third of women. So we still have a ways to go. Can you explain what XCOM is so that Excuse anybody me, that's listening... Yeah, committee, the, the, really the top, top of the pyramid. So that was one action. The other one was obviously uh, making sure that we had to measure and therefore close when needed, when there is a gap, the gender pay gap. So as Diana mentioned, uh, I didn't realize we were so few, but it's something that we started in 2007 that we really focused with headquarters and all of the entities here in France. And then um, a few years later, we decided to roll out. So today we're working with Edge to really find the right tool. To have, We found the right tool. We adapted it to our ways of working and we're rolling it out after several pilots so that everyone can monitor it and make sure that that gap is closed. Um, so numbers, measurement is absolutely key, but obviously we have, we go beyond and we, we go beyond with a more holistic approach. So I think one of the things, few examples, very tangible is encouraging our main subsidiaries to obtain gender equality certifications with organizations like EDGE, which I mentioned before, or GIS, and get a label that is then given by a third party. That's very important because that enables our teams to have a very specific roadmap to see where the inequalities exist in terms of gender. And are these organizations, sorry to interrupt, are these organizations um, sort of known globally to make accurate assessments? Yes, yes. They're definitely known globally. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we're also decided to use them to leverage that. Um, Rolling out also globally, you know, more specific things like domestic violence policies, because we do have two thirds of women in our workforce and that one in three women will encounter 
uh, violence in her lifetime. So there's what's happening at work. So we do have a speak up policy for the past 10 years, enabling people to speak up if they do get harassed in the workplace, but mainly to be able to feel safe enough to speak about what's happening at home and which the, the survivors are bringing to work. So that's something that we also think is important in terms of equity. And finally, maybe a last question, last example, excuse me, on promoting parental leave, not just for mothers, but also for all parents. So in terms of equity, I think that that's part of our holistic approach. Fantastic. And you've actually touched upon quite a lot of uh, the, the answers to this question. But could you tell me specifically how L'Oreal's leadership attracts and retains minority talent and female talent, um, particularly at mid-management level? So how do you what is it that you do that means that you attract the, the people that you want to attract, not just how do you keep them once they're there? So we have different things. We have specific leadership trainings. Sometimes we have them in-house and sometimes we promote leadership trainings that are constructed with other companies like Dannon, for instance, the EVE training, which is really focused on making sure that women find their voice in terms of leadership and um, feel comfortable taking upon those, those positions when promoted. Mentoring is another big one, very common in most companies, but always a really good one to use between a senior level and a more mid, um, mid-management level type of employee. So that those are really good in terms of sharing, in terms of, um, yeah, just, I guess, sharing and, 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 and being able to build on from someone else's experience what and also to understand what's, you know, what should be done or... And then we've also done specific trainings on microaggressions, for instance, so we started this, uh, it could be on many type of aggressions, but daily aggressions or on sexism, for instance. We've trained all of our teams on what is sexism, what we call here in France, ordinary sexism, everyday sexism. So little things that we would hear and that are just no longer acceptable. So it's also about upskilling our management to make sure that people feel comfortable and safe to, to stay within the organization. So all of it's a combination of all of that. But I would say one of the ways of retaining it is really to train and to make sure that we feel comfortable to speak up and to disclose. Great. Um, as a working mother, how have you personally found L'Oreal's policies on maternity leave and flexible working? And how have these policies made you a better employee, do you think? So, yes, I, I am a mother of, of uh, three boys and I have been working uh, for, as I said, over 28 years. Two of my children were born at L'Oreal. Um, I think becoming a parent, whether it's uh, the first time or the third time, it's always a huge step. And I think um, you may have an organization or a lack of organization at home, but work is plays a huge role in that, in enabling that safety um, and, and mainly when mothers have to go away on maternity leave, for instance, I was able to get 20 weeks of paid leave working for L'Oreal. So we do have a common ground for all of our employees worldwide, for mothers to have at least, at least 14 weeks of paid leave worldwide, even in countries when there is no maternity leave, for instance, like the United States. So uh, these are things that are important because it enables that mo- that moment to be a real moment dedicated to becoming a parent or to continuing becoming a parent. Um, but mainly what's important is that the job, the safety of the job 
is also maintained. In other words, when you come back, you either find your position or an equivalent position of your choice, of your choice, that you've discussed with the HR. So that safety is also absolutely key for peace of mind. And and that is the key thing, isn't it? That idea of job safety, because um, it's all very well having 20 weeks off. But if you've lost your position in the ladder, it's pretty useless anyway, in a corporate sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially right now, we see the job safety issue coming up with the pandemic and COVID. And, uh, and uh, so, yes, absolutely. But there's really something to be said about the fact that it's a... It, we didn't. We don't need to make excuses, and it's really embedded in all of our policies. And we've made a huge step, I think, with the co-parents and the paternity leaves by also enabling fathers to also lead by example and find the time, at least a minimum of six weeks of paid leave. But in the UK, it's eight. In the US, it's eight. In the Nordic countries, it's much more, where fathers can also spend the time with their newborn and with their partner, and also for co-parents to adjust. Diana, coming back to you, um, what evidence have you seen at Equileap about the impact of the pandemic, as as we were just mentioning, on women at work? Oh, yeah, the, the pandemic has had a huge impact on women on work. Well, we've been reading studies. Um, I think one was published in January uh, of this year in the New York Times that 60 to 80 percent of the people who lost their jobs during the pandemic were women. And that many times it's women who took the major, most of the burden of working from home and taking care of the children. So I've been speaking to my researcher team about what they have been seeing, what companies are reporting right now. And it looks like a number of companies have been saying that they are increasing their flexible working hours and locations, that they are increasing their or improving their parental leave policies for both men and women which is nice. We haven't finished the research for, of this year, so I can't give you the exact um, numbers. But we are seeing a number of companies saying, stepping up and saying, we understand that the burden of childcare falls mostly on women and that we need to make um, you know, some, some changes in order to make sure that women stay within the jobs. That's the good thing. A less positive impact um, happened right when the pandemic emerged and it hit in 2020, about two months right after that, the UK, for example, said to the companies, well, we have a pandemic, so you no longer have to publish their gender pay gap. And we really didn't understand what did one thing have to do with the other. Um, but it was really it was really too bad because um, U- uh, UK companies were publishing their pay gap. We had some numbers. We were seeing some improvement. And then the pandemic hits. And then they say, well, this is a, a reason for you not to have to do it. And now in 2021, the UK government has said, yes, you have to publish, but we are delaying the date. So you can only pu- you can publish it in October. So we still don't have the numbers of the pay gap of the UK companies um, today. We have to wait till October to get those numbers and to publish them. So, you know, um, it's uh, some positive things and some negative things. But for sure, the pandemic has not been good for women in the workplace. And uh, I'm afraid that we will see that in the numbers of next year. Um, it's it's often said time and time again that it's an unsquareable circle, the idea of really embedding proper flexibility, especially in terms of gender, into the sort of normal working practices globally. Um, how far does Equileap go in research and suggesting solutions? 
Well, we don't suggest solutions, but we do want to see clarity from the companies. We want to see if there are clear policies of throughout the company that permit people to have flexible working hours, but also flexible work locations. Now, some companies absolutely can't do the locations like in the healthcare. You know, you have to work at a hospital and you have to be present. Um, but then they will tell us, you know, what, what they're doing as far as um, hours and permitting people to be as flexible as possible so that they can balance. Now, I think what is important is that this flexibility is not only for women, but that it's also for men. Just like parental leave, it shouldn't be only for women. It should also be for men. And when you have this equitable um, way of looking at flexible work and parental leave, you will have also more um, equity at home as far uh, and uh, on the in the workplace. Fantastic. Um, we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask for your key takeaways that you can share with our listeners. Margaret, let's start with you. Key takeaways. Um, I think... Beneficiaries of gender equity goes way beyond women, uh, as I said, but also men, people of all genders. You know, breaking down stereotypes. When we started working on stereotypes, we started working with a lens of sexism, and then we went into homophobia and racism, and everything is so intertwined. So the what we call microaggressions, these are really important uh, to focus on, but also focusing on really the fact that these stereotypes really should be um, discussed and talked about because also they differ from country to country. So these are important conversations to have. So we've had in the last, I would say, 12 months within L'Oreal, what we call courageous conversations about everything beyond gender, but gender was part of the discussion. And to enable people to feel free to, um, to really discuss these matters and the role of a company. And today, I guess, my biggest takeaway is that when you do work within a company, you do have really an important role to play, whatever function you may have, but to really uh, promote, um, I would say, a real transparency, a real, uh, but also empathy, listening, uh, not judging, and also making those chances really up available for everyone. So to come back to gender equity, yes, it's the tip of the iceberg. It goes way beyond. But as a company today, we have a serious role to play. Also, given the fact that we have more means than governments or NGOs, oftentimes, so we can try different things and pilot different programs and then roll them out and share them. I spend my life sharing our best practices with smaller companies, with other organizations, so that they can be duplicated. Most of them actually don't require many means, but it's the fact of the pilot phase is always a bit more complicated and then we can roll it out. So yes, I think um, really the idea is to continue being bold. We have to continue testing different things to reach that equity, but uh, but hopefully we'll, we will be more and more doing so. Brilliant. Diana, What what is your sort of key takeaway or what are your key takeaways from this discussion, would you say? Well, since we are active in the investment world, um, my key takeaway is that investing in gender equality means investing in a better world for everyone, but also in better financial returns. And a diverse team, and here I'd like to echo what Margaret was alluding to, a diverse team in as far as gender, backgrounds, ethnicity, uh, economic uh, resources, it's that team is a stronger team um, than one where everybody is the same. Diverse teams are better equipped 
to serve the market and their clients. You know, we know who the consumers are and the consumers are not only uh, white men. There's different consumers, uh, different gender and ethnicity backgrounds. And so the teams need to be equipped with that knowledge too by having that diversity. And I can only hope that the business case for gender diversity will become better accepted and that people and institutions will start investing with a gender lens. Let's hope so. So finally, could you tell the listeners how they can keep up to speed with some of the work that your respective companies, Equilib and L'Oreal, are doing on this issue? Sure. We are very active on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Our website is equilib.com. And there we publish all our reports, but we also publish other people's reports, uh, third-party reports on gender equality, the business case of gender equality. So many of the things that I mentioned today, you can find in the reports that we have there on our website. So I would say follow us on social media and check out our website. Brilliant. Margaret? As for L'Oreal Group, you can follow us as well on social media, mainly LinkedIn and our website, L'Oreal.com. And we would have on a regular basis articles, but also publications that we would uh, post on a regular basis. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Um, and I hope to, uh, to see some more evidence of your work bearing fruit in the very near future. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. Take care. Thank you very much. Please rate, review and follow One Step Ahead wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Libby Potter. Thanks for listening. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Amundi ETF designates the ETF business of Amundi Asset Management. Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies does not in any way endorse or promote any companies or securities mentioned in this episode. The opinions expressed at the time of recording do not necessarily reflect the views of Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies and may vary from time to time.